here's the scene. A game show modeled after the $20,000 pyramid. The contestants are a mother and daughter. The first clue is summertime. Go! Lemonade, um, ice cream, sleepaway camp, things I told you to avoid, things that make you fat. Picnics, uh, barbecues, fattening events, places where they have too much food. No. Beaches, uh, swimming pools, Coney Islands. Places where I told you never to wear a bathing suit. Places where you eat too much. What? Pass. That's Gina Rodriguez as Alexis and Priscilla Lopez as her mother in the opening scene of the recent film, Sleeping with the Fishes. It was written, produced, and directed by Nicole Gomez Fisher. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. You may have seen Nicole Gomez Fisher, the actress, on 24, or Empire, or Frankie and Johnny Are Married. Or maybe you've seen her stand-up comedy, when she was one of the original members of the Hot Tamales Live, or in her own one-woman show called Mixed. Or maybe you've heard the buzz about her indie film, Sleeping with the Fishes. It was an official entry in the Brooklyn Film Festival, and Nicole took home the award for Best New Director. Sleeping with the Fishes tells a familiar story with heart, humor, and flair. Here's the short version. Alexis is in L.A., across the country from her Puerto Rican Jewish family. Her husband has died in a way that made clear he had been cheating on her. She's left with a mountain of debt while her party planning business goes belly up. Her odd jobs to make ends meet are very odd indeed, the most benign requiring her to dress as a meatball hero to attract business to a sandwich joint. The death of a distant aunt propels Alexis back to the family's Brooklyn home where her sister Kayla, played by Ana Ortiz, tries to help her pick up the pieces while her formidable mother is determined to set Alexis straight and put her on a diet. P.S. Stephen Strait plays Alexis's charming Brooklyn love interest. As I said, it's a familiar story, but solid acting and lighthearted and smart dialogue moves it firmly out of cliche territory. Sleeping with the Fishes is Nicole Gomez Fisher's first film and she produced it on a shoestring budget. When I spoke with her recently, I asked Nicole for the story behind the story of Sleeping with the Fishes. Well, the story itself um, stems from my family and my life as being raised as a Puerto Rican Jew and my mother having converted from Catholicism and it paved a pathway for myself and my sister that was very um, confusing and complicated and left us in um, a position where we never quite felt comfortable within ourselves amongst other people, whether they be the Latin portion of my family or the Jewish portion. When I wrote this, I had come to a point in my acting and stand-up career where I just didn't have that desire to be in front of the camera anymore. And so this was my first attempt at writing a screenplay. And they say, write what you know. So I, <laughs> I wrote about my family and I thought the dynamic between the interfaith and the, the mixed race and all that would make for just an interesting new point of view, a new voice. And 
it wasn't that I wanted to gear the story towards, oh, the, you know, matriarch, Latina mother, you know, I didn't want this to be like a stereotype of anything. It simply was what I knew my life to be. And so the story is about a 30-something young lady who's just coming to terms with the fact that she's miserable and really needs to sort of regroup and figure out how to get through the dark side and see the light without admitting to her family that everything around her, everything she's built up has completely hit rock bottom. And going home for an aunt's funeral was a catalyst that I wrote in just to get her to Brooklyn because she was living in Los Angeles with her husband, now deceased. And For me, it was so much about telling a story that I think a lot of us go through, where you hit a certain age and you see everything else and everyone else sort of living the life they want, and yet the main character that Gina played was living the life that everybody else wanted her to live and was living through the expectations of others. And so that's the premise of the story. And of course, finding yourself when you think that everything is sort of just done and not knowing where to pick up the pieces. We heard an excerpt of the opening game show scene at the top of the show. (laughs) Tell us what you were (laughs) aiming for. The opening scene was a combination of my fascination with game shows (laughs) and bringing in to light the mother and daughter dynamic right out of the gate. And I think the way it's set up, it's not only humorous, But it really sets up the audience within the first three minutes to know exactly who these two women are, how they relate or actually don't relate or communicate with each other. It was something that I had been told by other writers and other producers should have been placed elsewhere in the script. But I just really went with my gut and I thought it was a a good way to open, especially when I was shopping the script around because you want to grab the reader's attention right away. And I thought it was a unique way to grab the attention. And it certainly got the pages turning, which was very helpful. And it so nails down the dynamic, you know, and it's so true to life in general with anybody. And her mother is certainly a loving woman, but very critical. And I think the way Priscilla Lopez played that character was so interesting because Mm. she could have come across as mean, but you never thought that she was. Right. I'm glad you actually brought that up because, you know, when you're writing something so close to home, it's very hard as a writer to censor yourself because you want to be able to tell the story you want to tell. But it was I also didn't want to hurt my family. So when Priscilla and I sat down, because Priscilla struggled for a little bit, too, because she was like, but this is so mean. This is so cruel. And I said, but you have to understand from my point of view, it wasn't to my mother, my real mother. Anything she's ever done has always come from a place of love. But, you know, you love the way you've been loved. And so with Priscilla, I said to her, don't think of it as cruel. Don't read into the actual words and just know that whatever comes out of your mouth come from a place of love. I mean, at the end of the day, I was very, very conscious of the mother not coming across as this stereotypical Latina mother. I didn't want this. So I think Priscilla definitely nailed it on the head and and really understood that you Give what you know to give. I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but I remember John Leguizamo once said in one of his one-man shows that his father always said to him, you know, I've always loved you the way I know how to love. And it may not have been the way you wanted, but this is what I know love to be. And it's the same thing with the mother character. Now, how did your family respond to it? It's not strictly autobiographical, but it is loosely based on your family. How did they weigh in? 
my father was not worried at all because he knew I was going to paint a nice light on him because <laughs> we're, we're, we have a very, very close dynamic. We're incredibly close as far as not just father-daughter but friends. And so I think he just wanted to be as encouraging as possible and said, you know, don't think about us. Just don't think about us. You go ahead and write what you want to write. And my mom actually said the same thing until she saw the first staged reading. <laughs> and after that uh, first staged reading – she was a little taken aback, to say the least, because I don't think she knew anything about what the story was going to be like or that it was going to be focused on a mother-daughter relationship. And it wasn't until the response and the feedback and the Q&A were so positive that I think my mom said, OK, you know what? As long as, as long as there's some sort of understanding or cushion within the script that people will be able to universally understand and relate, then I'm fine with it. So it was very touch and go, to be honest, because same thing with my sister. And none of this was intended to hurt feelings or to cross any barriers with my family. It was really just, again, a way for me to find my voice. But it was difficult during the writing phase because I would hold back on certain lines that I really knew would hit home because I was very concerned about doing anything that would shed a negative light on my entire family, but mostly my mother. But now that we're where we are now with the film, she couldn't be more proud. And I think she understands that this was just a way for me to express my voice and to get certain things off my chest. Saved a lot of money in therapy, that's for sure. <laughs> I bet that's true. <laughs> Didn't you film the entire film in Brooklyn? Yes, we shot 19 days altogether, nine of which were out of my parents' house in Park Slope, and then a couple days out of my own house in Bay Ridge. Wow, 19 days. That seems like a really short amount of time. It's fast and furious, but when you have limited funds, you know, you have to work with what you have. And I have to give so much credit to my crew because my crew was just so on top of their game. And, you know, the cast, of course, was amazing to boot, but having a crew that you can rely on really helps things move smoothly and, you know, avoiding going into overtime and all that other stuff. But yeah, 19 days was fast and furious. I'm really curious. Your resources were limited. So if we take something like the actors, for example, mm -hmm. how did you go about finding the actors? And I'm assuming you couldn't really audition them together. So you really had to roll the dice that yeah. there would be chemistry. I know. You know, it's really funny because this is one of those things that um, when we decided to go into production and I started raising the money for the film – Everything just happened so quickly, and it just so happened that prior to doing this, I was an actress myself and a stand-up comedian, and one of my side jobs was working in a casting office just to help paper loads and run the camera for auditions. So I reached out to the gentleman, Sigdi Miguel, who was one of my casting directors, and said, you know, I wrote this script, and I'm just going to take a leap of faith, and if you think it's something that's worth putting some money up front, let me know, and if you're willing to cast it, please let me know. And we had to be, you know, realistic based on our numbers as to who we could really reach out to. And like you said, it was difficult because a lot of them were offers only, meaning they didn't come in to audition. So you were really, really just going on faith alone. My first and, and one person that I, I was absolutely adamant about having was Priscilla Lopez. I've followed her career all through Broadway, and I've just admired her so much, and everything about her just really resonated as the mother character to me. So she was the first one to read. After she read, she took the offer, and that actually opened up doors. Ana Ortiz from Ugly Betty and Devious Maids said, not only did I love your script, but I've been dying to work with Priscilla. So that was a definite shoe-in for, for me there. 
Gina had just come out of Sundance in 2012 doing Philly Brown, and she got so much notoriety for it and was like the next it girl. And we took a meeting. And same thing with Stephen Strait. We took meetings, and I never saw any one of those four audition with the exception of the father, Tibor Feldman. And it was risky. You know, we did a bunch of rehearsals. Um, with Gina and Stephen in particular, we actually did no rehearsals. They both, especially Gina, was very, very steadfast on not seeing him or even meeting him or talking to him until the first time they're supposed to see each other. So when that moment happens and she gets out of the cab and she sees Stephen, I mean, at least from my point of view, it's it's pretty magical because there's this real instant sort of soft connection. And yes, during the breaks and during cuts and during changes of setups and so forth, everybody sort of got to know each other right then and there. And thank God. But, you know, the chemistry was just instantaneous across the board. Do you think that your own background as an actor had an impact on you as a director? Yes. I have to say that having the experience of being on sets myself and having worked in television and film as an actor, I knew what worked for me. And I actually really appreciated directors that were almost coddling to a point and at the same time trustworthy. Like they they understood that trusting your actors was very important and to not overly micromanage every step. And, you know, as long as they were in frame, you were good. But that was probably the most fun part for me um, was actually working one-on-one with the actors. It was my first time directing and I just took all the knowledge and skills that I had taken from, you know, my own personal experience. And also, having written the script, I was very clear on what I wanted from them. And so just sitting down and talking things through and letting them understand the psyche of each character individually was was probably the best part of the whole journey. <laughs> Here's a scene from the film. It's dinner time in the Fish household. Kayla has just informed her sister Alexis that she has accepted a job for her as a party planner. Oh. I thought we all discussed this already. Alexis needs stability, and party planning will not allow her the time she needs to get her life together. Whoa, 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 wait, pause on you. When did we have a conversation about my life without me? I don't remember that. We're a family, we do it all the time. Lexita, don't you think it's time for you to move on from the parties, from the kitty parties, and the raccoon costumes? For the one millionth time, Mom, Kung Fu Panda is a panda, not a freaking raccoon. Lexi, 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 right, no, on, no, Lexi. I just need a little air, Dad. Did they perhaps come to a character with something you didn't see there or saw differently, but then you came around and said, oh, yeah, that, that really adds something. That, that gives it another dimension. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Gina did that a lot, as did Anna. I kept telling them, play, just play. You know, this is not a story about World War II. It's just <laughs> just have fun with what you feel instinctively you can bring to this character. And don't overthink anything. I want you guys to improvise. I want you to feel free. Just stay within character. And Gina came up with some really brilliant moments that I never would have expected, nor did I, I guess, sort of plan out in my shot list. Gina brought so much vulnerability, which was not what I expected initially, not from her, but from the character. And so I thought that was really refreshing. And Anna just brought lots of fun, lots of fun and humor. When did you start acting? How old were you? Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Um, I started acting in 1996. And I, it was a whim. I had, oh God, I'm so going to age myself right now. But (laughs) I was a media buyer for a company. And it was just mind-numbing for me, and I, I couldn't do it anymore. And 
And so I studied as much as I could and got myself out there and connected with the right people. And um, I did that for a while. And then I moved out to L.A. in 2001. And I was out there for about four years and I had some luck. But it was it was difficult because a lot of it, again, was so based on your weight and your look. And I already had enough, as you can tell from the film, issues with that. And so it was affecting me gravely. And uh, that was my reasoning for coming back to New York. And thank God I did because I met my husband the day I landed (laughs) in a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, did you move from acting to stand up comedy or you were just doing both right from the beginning? Um, No, I started as an actress. Yeah, that's what I thought. And what made you move to stand-up comedy? Truthfully, it was threefold. One, I really wanted to test myself and challenge myself and see if I could really do it. Two, it came from a place of just feeling like I had a voice and I could talk about what I wanted to talk about because a lot of times, more than not, when you're scripted, you are really censored and and can't say what you want. And it was such a freedom to be able to get up. And when people started laughing at my stuff, I was like, wow, all right, I guess I could do this. (laughs) And um, the third one was exposure. I really wanted people to see me for me and not just a casting breakdown because I never really fit the bill, no matter how ethnic or unethnic I was supposed to be, whatever that means. But I was never quite visually what they wanted. And so to me, if they saw me on stage and they thought I was funny and likable and personable, that maybe they would see past just my looks and my weight or whatever. And so it was it was really a medium that I used for exposure to get into the right doors. And it, it certainly did help and it worked and, and it really became something I absolutely loved doing. But I hit a certain point where I was traveling and I was on the road and kind of gets a little lonely and you start questioning where you are in life and (laughs) again going back to the story of sleeping with the fishes it's it was just that journey it was all part of that journey you know it strikes me as a very brave thing to be a stand-up comic you're up there you're alone on the stage people laugh or they don't the feedback is instantaneous (laughs) I've always been one of those people that I just like I love to just jump in blind. I I just, it's not that I'm not uh, cautious of certain things, but I really enjoy entertaining people. I really enjoy getting on stage and making people laugh. But there are times, I mean, I'm not going to say I think almost every stand-up comic, even the most seasoned ones, there's always that bit of nervousness. You don't know. Every audience is so different, and you have to sort of gear your material sometimes towards your location, what state you're playing in. Is this an an older crowd, a younger crowd? I mean, it's really a good tool when you're trying to just sort of gauge material in general. So it kind of helps you figure out your demographic. But yeah, it's it's a scary, scary thing to do. But when you do get the laughs, you don't ever want to get off the stage. It's really like some euphoric kind of excitement and high that you get just from being in the front of hundreds of people and making them laugh and knowing that whatever edge they had that day, maybe you've sort of relieved a little bit of that tension. And it's nerve-wracking across the board. I mean, this whole process has been nerve-wracking, but I really embraced stand-up comedy for a long time. And I just kind of got to a point where I was starting to feel like I needed new material. I started to feel like I was questioning who I was and what I wanted to really talk about. And so I wanted to break away. And when I wanted to break away... I never had the intentions of breaking away completely. I just wanted to come back to New York and find my my roots, so to say, and sort of regroup. And when did you start writing for television? Television was the medium I wanted. 
Initially, I love half-hour comedy, so I wrote two original sitcoms. One is called This Is My Life, and the other one is called Hotel 112. And they're being shopped around right now. One big company in particular is really interested in Hotel 112, and I would love it if it all works out and we get to develop it together. So I started doing that as soon as I finished my very final, final draft of Sleeping with the Fishes because I needed to just move on to another project or else I was going to spend forever just in the rewrite phase. <laughs> well, I'm really curious how writing for stand-up differs from writing for TV and how both of those differ from writing for narrative film. Obviously, they're all storytelling, but they're all very, very different medium. Oh, incredibly different. Um, all three styles are different based on structure. So stand-up is very much the setup punch joke. You know, you're expecting that. But in in the sitcom world, it's very much the same. I mean, you, you need that storyline as a setup versus a one-liner. And then, of course, you need that joke, and you need at least anywhere from like three to five per page, which is a lot harder than stand-up where you can sort of ride the wave of laughter and almost improvise your way into another joke. Sitcom is very much based on acts and keeping the structure and the humor together. Plot, storyline, just like a, a screenplay, but again, doing something that's 35 pages versus 125 pages is substantially different. So you have to draw out the story and make sure that there's a real fine through line, especially when it comes to uh, screenplay. Stand-up comedy you would just find a topic and then you would just – I would particularly write the topic down and just start brainstorming. And, you know, every stand-up's different. Everybody's completely different, but the medium is still the same as far as you want it to all feel like it just flows, like there's fluidity between your actual story and the jokes. Did you always want to direct or was that something that you felt like you were the best person to bring that vision that you had to the screen? Interestingly enough, I did not want to direct. I was so caught up in the financing of the film that I was so overwhelmed by just that, that the thought of actually putting myself on as director was daunting and scary. But when we looked over our budget, it was clear we weren't going to find anybody because <laughs> we didn't have the money to pay someone. So my casting director sat me down and said, listen, this is your story. Why would you want anybody else to direct this. You are the person. This is your story. It's your writing. Even if it wasn't based loosely on your family, it's still your word, your vision. Take advantage because once you get to the studio level, you'll have no say. <laughs> so I thought about it and I kept thinking, how can I raise money to hire somebody? Because I was just really scared. Then I thought, you know what? Just again, go in blind, jump in, see what happens. You know, I mean, you never want to put yourself in without any sort of guidance because you're dealing with other people's finances and money. But at the same time, I am so glad I did because it was exactly what I think when I say this is going to sound not that I was meant to be the director of this project, but it was like I said earlier, one of my most favorite parts of the whole process was trusting in myself and having these amazing actors, some Tony winners, Tony nominees and and TV people. And they trusted in me. They trusted in me. They listened to me. They allowed me to guide them. And so I am so happy that I did not try to raise the money to fit in a different director. And I'm really glad that I went forward because now for myself and my future, I want to be packaged as a writer, director and producer. I don't want to just be the writer. I want to have hopefully a little bit more control if possible. 
you premiered Sleeping with the Fishes at the Brooklyn Film Festival, where you won your first award for Best New Director, but it wasn't your last. Correct. I also um, just recently, this past August, won Best Director at the Imahan Awards out in Los Angeles, which is an award ceremony that's geared towards Latinos and and showing their work out to the general public. And it was started by um, Helen Hernandez and Norman Lear. And I took home Best Director, which was very exciting. Tell me that whole experience about premiering a film at the Brooklyn Film Festival. The Brooklyn Film Festival was everything I wanted it to be. You know, Brooklyn's my hometown, and that's where I wanted it to be. And it felt so right to be there. And the actual festival directors were just just warm and welcoming and excited for me as well as for my team. And, you know, this was the first time we had actually shown it to a general audience. Of course, being from Brooklyn, half the audience was made up of my friends and family. But, you know, just to have that as your first real exposure and to have that kind of support was really special. Well, the film premiered last year. How are different audiences responding to it? You know, it's interesting. We toured for a year. I say toured. We did the festival circuit for a year, the first one being the Brooklyn Film Festival. The follow-up to that was the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival. And here we had just come from this forum that was very comfortable and warm and family-oriented and, you know, safe. And then all of a sudden, here I was in San Fran, and we're looking at this line of 500 people that in my mind initially was not the demographic I thought would really enjoy the film. It was a much older group. And I have to tell you that it was probably one of the best responses we had because I think just the age alone, people just understood. They'd been there. They could relate to it. And from there, we I mean, we we were at the main Jewish film festival. We were at the St. Louis International, which has nothing to do with Jewish or Latino. And the response there was great. We've been around the, the whole gamut. And um, we are picked up by HBO. So we're, we're doing pretty well getting it out there. And to have this much exposure at this point has, it's just been overwhelming. You know, even though we've been chosen for Latino film festivals, as well as Jewish film festivals, I would hope that people walk away from this just seeing the story. I'm just hoping that people can see beyond the split between the race and religion and really appreciate the story itself. Oh, I can't wait to see what's coming next. Yeah, I'm really hopeful. I'm not even cautiously optimistic anymore. I'm just optimistic. Thank you, because I know you're busy. So thank you so much thank you, for Josephine. giving me your time and schlepping into the studio. Oh, schlep, no schlep. I was, I was around the corner. <laughs> that was Nicole Gomez-Fisher. She's the writer, producer, and director of the indie film Sleeping with the Fishes. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.